right, we'll grab your Bibles and get them open to uh, Jonah chapter 4 as we uh, close out our pretty brief four-week series uh, in this uh, great book. And as you are uh, getting yourself turned there, if we can get this uh, picture thrown up on the screen here. All right, that look familiar to you? I think, I think we can all agree here that this is the uh, universal emoji for astonishment, right? Surprise, amazement. You know, kind of funny enough, I actually asked my son this morning on the way here, I'm like, hey, what do you think of when you think of this emoji? He's like, fear. I'm like, oh, that doesn't work. Exactly. No, it's surprise. He's like, yeah, that works too, I guess, dad. Um, but I think maybe like the, the mind blown emoji, maybe that's kind of a close second here. But I think, I think this is like the emoji that you would use uh, to express how utterly shocked you were uh, by something uh, that you saw. Maybe it was someone, maybe it was a tweet online, right? Or, or it was a, a joke or a comment that someone texted to you. It was a, it was a picture or a funny video or something crazy some, uh, something did. But, I mean, you toss like two or three of these in a row into a text. I mean, people know uh, real quick where you're coming from, right? Shocked. Now, what the book of Jonah has been driving us towards here is just how truly shocking uh, God's compassion is. Right, how shocking his compassion is towards his creation. I mean, we've already seen it. We've seen it aimed at the sailors. We've seen it aimed at uh, the Ninevites. I mean, these were, these were pagans, right? These were sinners. These were, you know, Israel's enemies. And so the fact that, that God would show them any love, any compassion, any, any mercy at all is, I mean, that's pretty shocking. I mean, he expresses compassion towards Jonah as well. And you might be like, well, he's a prophet, so they were probably close. But I mean, we've already looked at him and how, you know, he isn't exactly, you know, close to the Lord, exact, right? He's, he, you know, he's running from him. He's not, he's not, you know, he has a lack of true repentance. And, you know, there's certainly a, a massive level of disgust towards the, the Ninevites specifically and the sailors too. But I mean, the Lord even shows compassion Towards the animals in this book, right? Which for a, you know, a non-pet guy like me, I maybe need to consider that maybe just a little bit. Okay, but God's compassion, I mean, it is truly, I mean, it's this, right? It, it, it's shocking. It, it, really, it really is. And of course, not just towards the people that we read here in the text and that we've been kind of studying and looking at, but, but towards us as well. So, I mean, do, do you see that? I mean, have you experienced that in my life? Do you have eyes to see how God has been compassionate to you? Do you, do you embrace that? Do you rejoice in it? Okay, but again, not just the compassion that he's revealed to you specifically, but do you, have, do you have a respect and appreciation and a love for the compassion that he has chosen to show other people? Right? Maybe even the people that, I don't know, you don't get along with all that well. People that you don't have, you know, want to give the time of day to at all. Right? These are the things that we're going to be looking at here from Jonah chapter 4. So if you're turned in there now, let's read it, starting in verse 1, just reading the whole thing. Okay, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O oh Lord, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? 
Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord, uh, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a, a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Father God, we, uh, we lower ourselves before you here today uh, in humility, recognizing that on our own we sure just make a mess out of things. God, Jonah is a, is a great picture of that towards us and also a very clear picture of your great compassion towards him. Lord, I pray that we would embrace that today. I pray that we would, that we would see that you're not a stingy God. You're not towards us. You're not towards uh, other people. Lord, we're all undeserving. We, we don't merit your grace. We, we, we don't. Lord, you just shower it. You pour it out in your goodness, according to your wisdom, how you see fit. And so, Father, I pray that we would be humble today. I pray that our heart for you would grow today. I pray that our heart for others would, would be enlarged. God, as you um, come after us so relentlessly, Lord, you just don't stop. You use the circumstances of our lives to uproot the areas that need to go, the, the, the problem areas that need to change, Lord, and you replace it with, with a new heart, Lord. I pray that you would do that here in us this morning. God, I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would move and work through the preaching of your word, Father. Father, soften us to this. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here we go. First thing in your notes. Two, two things today. First one is this. God's shocking compassion extends to those I despise. Am I good with that? Am I good with that? Now, Chapter three, of course, uh, we looked at it last week. It, it ends with the Lord kind of easing off the gas pedal, right? He, he, he relents of the, of the destruction that he had threatened to pour out on the Ninevites. Why did he do that? Well, because of their, because of their heartfelt repentance, right? They, they recognize, wow, we've got serious sin and the Lord's coming after us. We, we need to deal with this. We need to get right with him. And and so he's just demonstrated this immense, this, this shocking amount of compassion, right? He's poured this out on an entire city. Now, I think, I think sometimes we read that and we're like, oh yeah, like, you know, Ninevite, you know, was transformed. How cool is that? But we don't really think about that. Right? Imagine if he did that here. Yeah, I was thinking about that a little bit. Like imagine if in, you know, our little corner of York region, in, you know, Aurora and Newmarket and, and in, you know, in, in Holland Landing and maybe even Keswick, right? I love taking shots at Keswick. We love you though. 
Okay, but imagine if there was some guy out there saying, you know, York Region, you need to turn in repentance. And it was just evil after evil coming out and spewing out, which is pretty accurate for our day. But imagine all of a sudden there was just citywide repentance and, and people sackcloth and ashes and animals get low too. And, you know, all of it was all coming out. Imagine that we would be, as a church, we'd be like, whoa, right? The, the Lord is moving the Lord is moving in power. This is, this is incredible. We would, I think, I hope, we would be rejoicing in that. We'd be excited about it. Seeing God's compassion towards sinners. But take a look at verse 1. Here's Jonah's reaction. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Hmm. Right now, in the original language, actually, that, that phrase there in verse 1 literally means that it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. Right? That's how he thought of this, of this act. Okay, so suffice, suffice it to say, he's, he's not pleased. Right? He's not at all happy. He's not good with it, what, what God has chosen to do. That he's decided to show mercy. That he's decided to pour out grace and compassion uh, on these people. In fact, you could easily say that he's dangerously bordering on accusing God of wrongdoing. Okay, if not outright just doing that. Right? That's, that, that's I think, what he's doing here. He's having, you have deficient character, God. You, you blew it on this decision. You should have done what I said all along. Okay, so now listen, the, the, the specific issue going on, I think, in, in Jonah's heart here is he's got this, he's got this skewed and, and imbalanced understanding of God's justice and God's mercy. All right, both of which you and I, as Christ followers, we need to hold both of them in, uh, in view here. Okay, so Jonah, he was like, he was a pure justice guy. Right, like punishment, pain, <laughs> justice. Like he, he was that guy. He, he trumpeted that horn all the way. You know, well, all of us, I think, we lean one way or the other. Some of us were like, yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of wired like, like Jonah is. We look out at the world and it makes us angry. Right, and others of us, we're, we're so far the other way and like, we're like mercy and grace hippies. Right? And we never think about sin, and we don't, we, don't want to it, we don't want to look at that because it makes us feel uncomfortable. And we have to understand, God is, God is both. Right? He, he, he is gracious, he is merciful, and he is a God of, of justice. And so both of these ideas need to occupy our understanding of who God is. And so Jonah here, in this moment, he believes that, that God's justice is not being served by the fact that he decided to extend compassion and mercy to Israel's enemies in this particular moment. Whereas in reality, what was God doing? He was patiently withholding his, his wrath, his justice, Right, in order to give a proper amount of time to, to see these people repent and, and turn to him. It's an amazing picture of God's love when you think about it. And, and that love that God has for his people is the very love that's apparently absent in, in Jonah's heart. You know, look at verse 2. It says, And he prayed to the Lord and, and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is, this is pretty interesting. I find this so fascinating, right? He, he actually sheds light on that original conversation that he and God would have had back in chapter one. In chapter one, all it tells us in that moment is, you know, God says go and, and Jonah says no, 
right? He, he, he goes and he jumps aboard a ship. He decides not to go to Nineveh. He's going to go to Tar- Tarshish instead. But here, the author has withheld that information and now he's delivering it to us through where uh, Jonah is at. Okay, let's keep going. He says, that is why, right? That is why I made haste to flee, flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Can you see how sour he is? Right? I knew it all along, God. I knew this is how you were wired. I knew you'd hold back from, from punishing them, from, from executing the justice that they, that they deserved. Right? I knew it. That's why I didn't want to go in, in the first place. And so you see here, we are finally let in on, on where Jonah's really at. His true heart is, is finally revealed, very clear for all to see. Okay, so all of that, all of that appearance of, of repentance that we saw in him, that appearance of obedience and, you know, technically doing and, and saying the right things and, you know, the flowery prayers and all of that that we saw in him up until this point, it's exposed here. It's not actually coming uh, from a real healthy heart. It's not coming from a place of, of, of true, true godliness and uh, it's more, it's more surfacey behavior. It's not genuine. It's just under the, that surface and that exterior is a, is a deeply angry and, and bitter and merciless man. But that's not even the end of it. I mean, here comes more in verse 3. Take a look at that. It says, Therefore now, O Lord, this is Jonah, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord responds, he said, uh, Do you do well to be angry? Now, we saw a fairly similar response out of Jonah uh, when he was on the ship. You remember that? The storm was raging and going crazy, and these seasoned vet sailors are freaking out, right, because the storm was wild, and they're, you know, they're ditching cargo and all of that, right? Jonah, in that moment, think about what he could have done. He could have repented, right? He, he had some sense that all of this mess was because of me. He eventually tells the sailors that. He could have repented. He could have turned back to the Lord. But instead he says, he says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. He would rather die than repent. And here God kind of calls him on it. He says, do you do do well to be angry? Honestly, right? Is it really necessary? Is it it right for you to be this upset about what I have done, what I've chosen to do in the lives of these people? Now, it kind of appears here, if, if you look at this, that, that Jonah is issuing even somewhat of an ultimatum to God, right? Like, if you're not going to kill them, kill me. Now, does, does, he, does he really want the Lord to do that? I, I don't know, but, but I, I think he actually assumes that that tactic, that, that ultimatum will, will convince the Lord to reverse his decision to show compassion to the Ninevites and actually destroy them after all. I mean, like, like how, where are you getting that, Pastor? Like, you know, you're just reading that into the text. You spend a little too much time in some commentaries or something like that. No, I mean, it's, it's right here, right? We see he's trying to paint God into a corner, I think. Verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat. Okay, this is where he gets his pouting prophet nickname. Okay, he sat to the east of the city. He made a, a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, and then here it is. 
till he should see what would become of the city. Okay, so there it is. Look carefully at that. Right, God's already made his decision. I'm showing compassion to the Ninevites. Right? I, I love them. I want to see them repent. I've relented of the disaster. All of those things. Okay? But Jonah still thinks and, and actually hopes that God still might turn from or, or should even side with his position regarding the matter here and reverse his decision. And, and he thinks that Nineveh should burn. Maybe God will do it. I'm going to sit here and just watch and see kind of how this plays out. I think the Lord is going to listen to uh, how I'm being a bit of a suck about this. I think it's fairly safe to say here that Jonah despises these people. I mean, can you, can you see it there? Do you see it there? I think, it, I think it's clear. Right? He refuses to get behind God's, God's decision to show compassion. Right? He doesn't like that towards Israel's enemies. He's flat out not good with it at all. Opposed. Opposed. Now, it's really easy for us, I think, to, to read this and to look at this book and, and to kind of you know, think that Jonah is just like, He's a jerk, right? I mean, it's pretty hard to argue with that. I mean, part of me, I'm not gonna lie, like part of me just wants to railroad the guy. Like, really, like, wake up, man. Like, are you serious? Like the Lord has called you to do something. He's done an amazing work and you're, you're this upset. Okay, but understand that all throughout this story here, God is carefully exposing what's really going on in, in Jonah's heart. Right? God has sovereignly called him to this. God has sovereignly put him in these challenging positions. You think that when God called Jonah and, and then all of this starts to happen, God's like, oh man, like I didn't really see it going this way. Like he, he's my prophet. I thought he was more mature than this. Right? I, 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 thought he would, I, I thought he would make better decisions. I, I can't believe that I'm kind of, you know, kind of fighting with him on this about this. God knows exactly where Jonah was at. As, as God pursues the Ninevites, God pursues Jonah. And he is exposing whatever it takes in the person's heart to go after them. It's the same thing he does with us as well. Not to mention that God's you know, using the, the consequences of, of, of Jonah's poor decisions. He's using, he's using all of it to, again, gradually unearth and, and reveal the, the true state of Jonah's heart. Again, this is the very thing that God, that the Lord does with you and I. Because you and I, we, we play that surface obedience, half-hearted repentance, outwardly spiritual game all the time, right? We do it. But then, you know, after we go through something, we go through a challenge in our marriage or a challenge in life, or we start serving in ministry and we realize it's really difficult. And, you know, we join the church and it sounds real nice and everyone's real kind. And then you get to know them and you realize, oh, this is a little bit more complicated, more difficult. And you realize it's hard, but that's what the Lord is doing. He's unearthing what's going on in your heart to do a work in you. He's exposing that. Because under the surface, again, we play the game of everyone's good. But under the surface, it's a dumpster fire, right? And, and it's a mess. And here's the thing, though. It's not immediately noticeable to us. We're often very blind to our issues. And we can even, at times, hide it from, from other people. Sometimes we do a pretty good job of that. Other times we're doing a terrible job of that. 
People can see exactly what the issues are in us and, and we're the ones that are blind. And we do that because of pride. We do that because of, of fear. But again, God is unearthing it. One of those, one of those often hidden issues in us that just needs to be uprooted and exposed. And the issue that this text just confronts us with here over and over again is that God will extend shocking, astonishing, generous compassion to people that you and I flat out cannot stand. Right? We can't. We, we despise them. There are people in our lives that, you know, we just, we find them repulsive. They rub against us. We find them, they're, they're annoying on, on some level, maybe we even, we, we hate them. But you know what? God is still going after them as well. You okay with that? You gonna be good with how God chooses to work in other people? And how he might be using all of that to teach you some things along the way? Now listen, I was thinking about my own heart with all of this uh, this week. And it's amazing in a, in a pathetic way. <laughs> Um, how immediately my thought, as I was kind of working through this text, my thought was, you know, I, I don't hate anybody. Right? Like, I'm, I'm good here. Free pass. Right? That's what I was thinking. Now, I, like, in general, off the top of my head, I, I really can't think of anybody that I hate. Right? No, I can't think of anyone in this church. I can't think of any, no, no one. I, I can't think of that. But listen, I think we all have seeds of, of this kind of thing growing in our hearts a bit, maybe just a bit. In Jonah's case, that he despises the Ninevites, I think it's pretty obvious to us, right? He's gotten to the point where he's just snapped and he's lost it and he's freaking out on the Lord and he's building huts and sulking, right? At least it's obvious to us now what's going on in Jonah's heart. But again, it took a bit of time for him to, to get to that place where it's all coming out. It took a bit of time for the Lord to, to uncover that evil in his heart. So listen, maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit of that going on inside us as well. Maybe there really are people that we despise. Or again, we've got those, those roots of hatred growing within us and they just haven't quite developed yet. Those, those roots haven't quite punctured the surface where, you know, we can see them and we're shocked by them or where other people see them and are shocked by them. But it's there. It's there and it's festering. What I'm really getting at here is maybe there really are people out there who we wouldn't exactly love to see God show compassion to. Do you think you have that going on in your hearts? I was thinking about this. Who are the kind of people that we despise? How does this play out kind of in everyday life? I was thinking about um, the always thorny issue of politics, right? You consider yourself a, a conservative in politics? How do you feel about liberals then? How do you feel about them? How do you feel about AOC? How do you feel about Trudeau? Yeah, but I'm a, I'm a conservative. That's what, that's what Christians are. Okay. Maybe you're sitting here and like, nah, I'm more of a liberal. More of a liberal on those things. How are you towards conservatives? Are you just destroying their world on Twitter? Are you getting into bitter conversations with other people? Are you ripping them? Are you hard on them? See how we can be on either side of the coin 
and there's, there's a group of people, there's a, there are certain individuals that, that we can kind of despise, right? We don't check that. We don't bring that before the Lord. It can grow. Maybe for you, it's like a socioeconomic thing. Maybe for you, you grew up kind of poor and didn't have a lot of money. It was hard to make ends meet. And, and so you kind of look at people who have wealth with kind of the horse eye, right? And you're critical of them and maybe you despise them and you automatically kind of paint too many of them with the same brush and you think that because they drive a nice car or because they have a nice home or because they look a certain way, whatever it might be, therefore their heart must be wrong. They must not be humble. Their heart must be consumed by wealth. They must be driven by it. Not necessarily. Some of those godly people I've seen are some of the most wealthy because they're the most generous. They keep giving it away. They keep blessing people with it. And so the Lord's like, no, I'll just keep shoveling more onto your plate. And just keep giving it away. You can be godly and poor. You can be godly and have a lot of money. You can be ungodly and poor. You can be ungodly and have a lot of money. A lot of us, we fall into kind of one camp or the other maybe. Or maybe we're like, we're middle class, so therefore my hands are clean. Oh yeah, maybe you hate both camps. Do you despise people? Maybe it's a di- different ethnicity thing. Oh no, not in, not in 2019. Not in, not in the GTA. You know, the most multicultural city in the world. There's no, there's no anti-Semitism anywhere. You sure? Some of us maybe have just learned to quiet our mouths about that. And some of the joking that we have, some of us haven't even gotten to that place yet. But inside, it's still there. And we still stereotype and we still demonize somebody that's different than us. How about this one? This is going to hurt some feelings. We just had Christmas time, right? You're gathering with family members around the table, around Christmas dinner. And how many of us in those moments, in the tension of family, were like, can you please pass the cranberry? Oh, sweet cousin Bill. But inside, you're like, I just want to choke slam that guy into the table. Right? That's what you're thinking. And, and we've learned to play the game, right? And I'm going to, for the sake of difficulty and all of it, I'm going I'm to play nice. But inside, there's that war in your heart and you, you despise the person in your family and it's, it's difficult and it's not, I don't, I don't want to see God show compassion to that person. That person has hurt me. That person has harmed me. That person doesn't get it. You might be right about a lot of that stuff. But how are you doing in your heart about that? Do you despise them? Do you wish the Lord would smite them? Are you praying that the Lord would show them grace, would show them mercy? How about this one? Other churches. Other Christians with slightly different, even, theological leanings than your own. Right? This is one that I... You know, I got to check my heart on this kind of thing, but, but do you write people off or other churches off because they worship in a slightly different way? Do you write them off because they express themselves differently or, or they believe something, something slightly different? I'll tell you what my radar is always up for is when I see new people who come to our church, and I love it, I love it, when, when new people come and, and, and they seem to be blessed by what the Lord is doing, but every once in a while, it doesn't happen a lot, but every once in a while, 
I, I listen and I hear someone and they're just torching the church they left. They're ripping it. Yeah, well, they stood on this and they were more like that. Listen, if you communicate that thing to the new church that you're going to, trust me, everyone around here is just gonna be like, you know what, you're gonna be doing that any minute now here. If not, you're already doing it. Right, are you, where, do you hate people? Do you despise people? Do you automatically think you're correct and, and you're right? Right, God shows shocking compassion to people that we naturally don't want him to. He does it. However he wants, whenever he wants. Are you going to be okay with that? If not, why? Why not? Begin to ask yourselves these questions. Begin to look at where your motives are, are at here. Okay, the, the issue is not that we can't disagree with people. I'm not saying we can't disagree in, in politics and, and in theology and, and with family members and, and all of those kinds of things. The, the, the problem is that we often can't disagree with somebody without also despising them, right? With feelings of superiority welling up in our hearts and in our minds, writing them off, outright cruelty at times, bitterness disguised as righteous anger. Oh, no, I'm just righteously angry towards that person. Oh, yeah, are you sure about that? I look in the scriptures, I see that righteous anger is pretty hard to come by. Evil anger, that's real easy. We can get there quick. If you're not okay with the way that the Lord shows this shocking compassion, why? And it comes down to bitter, you know, asking ourselves these, these penetrating, motive unearthing questions. Don't let yourself off the hook about these things. Why do I despise? Where is, where is this coming from in my heart? Why, why do I want and believe that God should be stingy with his compassion towards certain people? Why am I maybe even angry towards God for the fact that he has chosen to work in that person's life in that way? We gotta think about this. I think some of the answers to some of those questions are found somewhere here in this final thing. Hey, God's shocking compassion extends to undeserving me. Will I see my own brokenness? Listen, a, a big part of the problem that we have with God's compassion towards others and our lack of <laughs> compassion for them is that somewhere inside we believe that they don't deserve it, right? They do not deserve God's compassion. Now, you're actually right about that, right? None of us do. None of us have earned the right to receive God's compassion. We, you know, we don't at all. That's technically true. No one deserves it. But, but the real problem that needs exposing is that while we think that other people don't deserve it, what we're actually saying is that we do, right? I deserve it. They don't. Now back to our story here. We, the reader, we can, we can see here, we can tell that things aren't right in, in Jonah's heart. But hey, does Jonah see it yet? Does he perceive? No, he doesn't, right? He's still entrenched in his position. He's blind to it. There's still work to be done here. And what follows next is how the Lord works. It's, it's brilliant, right? To just, to just challenge Jonah uh, to see his own brokenness and, and, and to, to perceive it. And it's, it's amazing, really. Verse six, take a look. It says, now the Lord God appointed a, a plant of all things. That sounds random, but we'll, 
We'll unpack that. The Lord God appointed a plant and, and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And so you remember, in kind of a, a hissy fit, Jonah, Jonah leaves Nineveh. He, he goes out east of the city and he builds for him some kind of a, a booth, some kind of a hut structure to, to kind of, you know, keep the sun off his head or whatever. But obviously it wasn't good enough uh, to really do that, which I think speaks to the fact that left to our own devices, we can't provide for ourselves what we truly need. All right, so what happens here is God provides this plant for, for Jonah as an act of what? Compassion. Right? As an act of, of, of mercy to him. And it says there to, to save him from the discomfort that he, was, that he was in because of the scorching heat and the wind. Now, how does Jonah respond to this act of compassion uh, by God? He loves it. Right? He's all about it. He's, he's thankful. He's exceedingly, he's exceedingly glad. How interesting that he so appreciates God's compassion when it's aimed at him, right? When he's the one receiving it. But when others he deems undeserving receives it, it, it displeases him exceedingly. It makes him angry as verse one showed us. Hmm. Now verse seven, the object lesson here continues for Jonah. It says, but when the dawn, or when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a, a worm, worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Huh. Okay, so you see here that, that God is now reversing his decision to be compassionate to Jonah. Right, which is the very thing, of course, that he wishes God would do to the, to the Ninevites. Okay, but God's not quite done. Verse eight. When the sun rose, God appointed a, a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. So again, another removal of, of compassion. And you see here how the Lord uh, is, is, is starting to wear down Jonah's stubbornness. Right? He, he's going after that, that pride there. Right? He's, not, he's not letting Jonah just you know, give in to his own devices and become a disaster. He's trying to heal him. He's trying to do a work uh, in him. And Jonah asks, continues, that he might die and says, it is better for me to die than to live. That's a common narrative through this book. Okay, so, so now what he's seeing here through this is that death would be a better option than the removal of God's compassion towards him and, and, and the justice that he deserves. You see, you see through here, here through this that, that the Lord's got him now, right? He's got him. He's, 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 he's pegged him. The double standard, Jonah's, Jonah's hypocrisy, it's exposed. He wants, he wants compassion extended towards himself, but not towards others. He wants justice extended towards others, but not himself. That's where he's at. But again, the Lord's not finished. Because Jonah still, he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't, he doesn't see it. He's not relenting. He's not, he's not repenting. And the Lord just continues to, to laser in on, on Jonah's issue here. Verse nine. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yeah, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant? 
Like he, it's like incredulous, right? You, you pity the plant which you, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Here it is. Should I not pity Nineveh? Nineveh, like, like a city full of flesh and blood, like people, right? Made in my own image. People who would spend an eternity in hell if I don't save them. Should I not? You care about a stupid plant and yet you're upset with that I care about people that I made. You see how the Lord's just like, checkmate. Now, curiously, well, let me actually, let me, I don't want to skip this. Let me read this. God says to him, you do well to be, pity the plant, be angry at the plant. He said, yes, I do. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said, you pity the plant. Okay, we've read this. For which you did not labor, you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, here it is, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. Like they have no clue what's up. They have no clue what's down. They can't find their way to me. They get left to their own devices. They, they just blow it time and time again. 120,000 persons, more than that. And also much cattle. And the the 120,000 persons and, and much cattle speaks to the massive amounts of, of life that would be lost if God had done what Jonah demanded. And so in other words, he, he's just calling Jonah out, right? Like you care, you care about the, the wrong things. You need to get on board with what, with what I care about in these people. Now, curiously enough, this is, this is how the book ends. Right? It's, it's kind of interesting, right? Like there's, there's no response from Jonah. Those of you who love like Disney princess movies, you're like, you're struggling right about now. Right? Because there, there is no have, happily ever after that we see. Right? There, there, there's no, you know, connection between the Lord and, and, and Jonah and repentance and, and all of it. At least not the one that we're privy to. And now, now tradition holds, it's kind of an aside, but tradition holds that Jonah is actually the author of this book. That's what a lot of commenta- uh, commentators would believe. And, and that he wrote this as, you know, after the fact, obviously, as one who finally did, he got it, right? He understood and he repented and he saw his own brokenness and he turned away from it. Now, listen, we don't know all of that for sure, but truthfully, it doesn't really matter because God leaves us here with the ending of this book to get us to ponder our own response. How will we handle the fact that our God is a shockingly compassionate God. Will we grow to love and and value his compassion and his mercy and his grace extended towards other people, even our enemies? Will we realize in in deeper and and more heart-penetrating ways here just just how truly depraved and stubborn and arrogant and, and again, broken we are, how undeserving we are of his goodness and his grace. Right? That, that's the key right there. If you're like Jonah and you're at a point in your life right now where you're, you're running from the Lord and 
your heart is, is cold and the focus of your life is about you and, and not about him, not about others. The key here is, is realizing the, the unmerited, unearned, undeserved compassion that God has shown you through Jesus Christ. Right? That's it. Think about your own life. Think about the mess that you've made of it. Think about the, the, the issues that you've created because, because you've decided to allow yourself to rule it. And think about how, how God has, has graciously, mercifully rescued you from that. Think about the, the, the first time that, that you received Christ as your Savior through the gospel. Think about the goodness in your life to, to transform your, your heart. Think about all the, the sin and the brokenness that was there that he has been repairing. Maybe it's been in a very short amount of time. Maybe for you it's been over a, over a, a, a long period of years. You've, you've got to look at that. You've got to pay attention to that. You've got to, you've got to praise the Lord for that. You've got to see his compassion towards you before you'll ever appreciate it towards other people. If you don't, you'll always eventually run from him yourself. You'll always eventually hate other people. See your brokenness today. And as you do, be in awe of the fact that God pursues you relentlessly anyways. Right? That's the message of Jonah. He comes after Nineveh. He comes after his enemies, but he also comes after his own people. That's us. That's the church now. Some of you are like super discouraged. You've come in here today because your life's been a mess this week. God loves you. Forgiveness is available to you through the cross. Some of you are, are new to this whole church thing and you don't you know, own a Bible maybe even. And you know, you're, you know you're not a Christian. You, you know all of that. Well, listen, understand it's the same message to you. Understand that Jesus Christ went to the cross to redeem you from your sin, to forgive you. A bunch of us here in this room, are, we're not really much different than you other than the fact that we've, we've accepted that. Right? We've embraced forgiveness. And when we do that, the, the Holy Spirit begins to transform us and make us new. That's what Christ offers you now. Would you embrace it? Would you embrace that, that compassion, that love, that grace, that mercy? shocking, isn't it? 